we are talking about uh, faith and practice, if you would, spirituality and religion. And, you know, in, in, in the groups and the churches that I grew up in, I was basically taught that spirituality is good. Um, to have a personal relationship with God is good. And anything that becomes ritual or habit or ceremonies or, you know, things that are planned out and kind of structured, those things are called religious and they're empty, and we want to leave those things behind. And see, as I've grown and I've begun to allow God to lead me in places that I wasn't very comfortable in, I've begun to learn the balance we have to find between these two things. And, and so uh, the analogy, which we had uh, last Sunday, we all learned that at Cracker Barrel, the lanterns, you have the, the flame and the fire. Now that glass that goes around is called a what? A globe. Who actually knew that before Sunday? You guys are really sharp. I, or lying. Because <laughs> I still halfway don't believe that. It just doesn't sound right. It's not the right shape to be called a globe. Anyways, so the, you know, the concept is this. Uh, the ability for us to have faith, to walk into direct connection with God, and to begin to pursue Him is this, this flame, if you would. And it's very important for us to have that flame because it's what fuels everything else. But... Religion, if you would, uh, the practice, finding a way to create an environment around us of routines and folks, just things in our life that bring our attention back to God. This, this practice of our faith, it becomes a globe. It becomes the glass that shields the flame on the inside. It's what allows us to stay consistent, whereas if all we have is experience in the personal relationship with God, we go up and down with our experiences with God. When He's with us and we are stepping into our calling and you know, we're having these great experiences at services or conferences or, or, or in a book, we have these highs and then there's these droughts. And it's as if God disappears and we just go through life like this and we just don't know any better. And the balance we have to find is how to create a new rhythm, if you would, to, to create a world, a lifestyle that is a shield that protects our personal walk with God. And that's where these practices come in. That's where Lent comes in. Uh, that, that's where communion comes in. That's where uh, confession and, uh, what's the word? Oh my goodness, I already, I already forgot what I preached about last Sunday. What I preached about last Sunday. Solitude. You can tell where my brain is. In solitude, these practices, these, these become things that are not spontaneous, they're planned out. These are ways that we are intentional to protect the relationship, the flame with God that we have. And, you know, the analogy for us in life, in marriage and relationships, if you're not intentional to find places and times to tend, if you would, to that relationship, to, to feed the fire, if you would, if you're not someone who dates your spouse, if you don't make time to get away with friends, it just begins to wane and ultimately it dries out. And so the idea is these practices, these religious things we do are ways that we intentionally make time and set it apart for God. And in those, if you would, planned times, all of a sudden spontaneous encounters and things take place with God, and it's a beautiful balance that we find. Make sense? Clear as mud. You guys are just ready to go tonight. I'm excited. Did you guys take uh, St. Patty's Day a little too hard? Anybody here? Anyone Irish? Everyone's like, no, we're Christians. We don't celebrate that. <laughs> well, it was a Christian holiday first. Anyways, okay. 
Um, here we go. This is week three uh, of this series, and, and uh, today I want to talk about some things that might be a little bit new to us. And we talk about the word present a lot uh, here at Grace. We talk about the importance of being fully present. And in my own life, the person who reminds me the most of the importance of this, of course, is my wife. Men, yes? Okay. So you're in the car, and your wife's talking to you, and you go, yeah? Come on, man. Yes, you have experienced this in your life. Me too. Okay. Because she is catching the fact that while you're physically present, you are emotionally, mentally absent. Correct? Okay, if you have kids, when you're playing with your kids and they're in front of you going, daddy, 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 and then you realize on the 10th time they say it, you weren't present. Oh, there? Present? It all works. Okay. We see this in life. We have these issues where we're just not present. There's something about life where it is work to be fully here. For some reason, it's natural for us to kind of just to float off. You know, we're, we're at work and we're on the computer, but all of a sudden our brain begins to think about, oh, well, if I pull my phone out, I can watch March Madness right now. Or, or more realistic like this, or the fight you have with your spouse that morning or the night before. You, you're here working, you're, you, you know, you're, you're trying to do something, but mentally, emotionally, you're just kind of back there. Have you experienced this at all in your life? Now, what happens here is that there is this, this process for us to where we feel a pull both from the past and the future, meaning we have these forces, this, this tugging on us that is constantly trying to pull us out of the moment. But the moment is important. The present is important. And the present... It's important first because who's here in the present? You are, right? For me to be with you, I must be present. Here. All the way here. But the other person who is in our present is God. Now, it's not that he's confined to time the way that we are, but we are confined to it. The richest encounters, connections to God always take place for us right here. If you think about relationships, the only meaningful experiences that you will ever have in relationship, in connection to another human, is in the present. Now, you can be in the present with someone and, you know, in the past and you can share that experience. Hey, do you remember when we did that. And you have that great memory because in that moment you were, okay, okay. Spring forward Sunday was last Sunday, okay? So <laughs> that excuse doesn't work today, all right? We're just so tired. We got up and didn't have any, you know. We were even more living to live, to experience, to, to, to think, to feel, to taste, to touch, all that takes place where? 
what's so dangerous about this is that when we are constantly being pulled into the past or pushed into the future, we aren't even able to fully live. Think about this. When you have this, this fight or you have this issue or this stress or this problem from the past, and you, you, um, take a confrontation with someone at work. You have this confrontation. It was stressful. It, it was hard. It was emotional. So what happens is you, you, your thoughts are constantly being pulled back. Your emotions are constantly being pulled back to this. You, you replay the encounter over and over and over again, right? Have you experienced this? Okay. <laughs> okay. And what takes place in this process is Time is not standing still while I'm in my mind all the way back here rehashing this moment over and over again. My life is still moving forward without me. Do you get what we're saying here? This is not a small thing. This is a big thing. In the same way, whenever I am thinking about this project or this bill or this, this goal or uh, this vacation that's coming up in a month. Who likes to plan trips? Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. It's almost as fun as going, right? No, okay. <laughs> it is for me. Okay, I should spend hours finding the perfect hotel deal. No one else. Okay, I'm a little weird. It's okay. I would spend hours just going through all these hotels, and I mean, I mean, hours. I would find the perfect deal. Can you imagine? We got this room with these things at this place for this price. I'd come to Nisa, and she'd be like, "I thought we were going to watch a movie four hours ago." You should be happy. Look at all this work I've done. There are things in our life that pull us into the future. We're thinking about these events that could happen. Sometimes we're worrying. We're stressing. Oh, well, um. What if this happens, and what if that happens, and oh no about this, and oh no about that, and we're just constantly in the future. We are being pulled emotionally, mentally, someplace else, and we are worrying, if you would, we are living out something that isn't even real yet. On the other hand, who here would call yourself type A? Be honest, own it, you're type A, just own it, put your hand up. Who's type A driven? Come on, you guys aren't much of type A, then if you want, own it. There we go. Okay. You are driven. That's the term, right? It doesn't matter what you accomplished. It's great in the moment. Sure, that's awesome. What's next? Sure, I made this deal. What's next? And you're constantly out there somewhere. In the pre- yeah, well, somewhat ADD. And so the present is a little bit boring for you because you're always after the next challenge the next goal, the next high, the next hurdle. And so for you to be present, you find yourself doing this. So what do we do here? I remember I had all these different goals. Well, if we could just get to 50 people on Sunday, if we could just get to 75, if we could just get the foyer done, if we could just get, you know, a bigger building, if we could just get that building to have a paid parking lot, if we could just, and I'm never happy. The moment comes. Remember the first Sunday here. We used to average about 100 people on Sunday, and that was huge progress for us. Massive growth. The first Sunday here, we had like 250 people. I didn't even savor it for a moment. My mind went, can we get 500 in a month? 
That's me. And so I'm always up there somewhere. And so all of us are naturally pulled somewhere other than the present. To be here is an unnatural thing for some of us with our personalities, with our lifestyles. And of course, the danger of this, again, is that we aren't really living at all. And people like this, we tend to have the most shallow relationships. The more in the future you are, the more in the past you are, the less you have to offer anyone right now. We had some people in the church, I just loved them very much, but they would, you know, we'd sit down to talk. And it would only take about 10 minutes. And they would instantly begin to bring up stories from their past and about these hurts and wounds. And it came up every single time. And it was, it, it, it was so clear to me, if you would, because I'm on the outside. But for this person, they didn't realize that they were not living this life. They were unhappy. They were not satisfied. They were frustrated with life. But the reason they're so frustrated with this life is because they weren't even living it. They were still stuck 10, 15, 20 years ago with this person or that thing or this disappointment. And sometimes it's attached to a person. Sometimes it's attached to God. Sometimes it's attached to yourself. Sometimes there's something that you did, a, a, a sin that you uh, did, a, a choice that you missed or you messed up. But it doesn't matter. The point is this. We have a hard time being Right here. So much so that for us to actually sit down with someone who's present is a little bit jarring. You ever sat down with someone and you just feel like they're just like, they're like reading you? You're like, this person is so intense. They're actually listening to what I said. Okay, you haven't had that. There you go. No, yeah, just like talking to me. Yeah, right. If I was saying really, it wasn't me. I was... Really? I'm over here. <laughs> and again, this is so important for us because of this. Because we are here and because God is here. And so much, we go through these seasons of drought and we say, God, where are you? How come it's not like it used to be? Or you're dreaming and saying, God, I just can't wait till I get there. There was a point in my life where I was so consumed with frustration and offense over the past, and I was always saying, this, you know, where are you? Why is this so dry? Why am I so angry? Why am I so emotionally raw? And of course, you know why, because I was still stuck in this offense. And then I had seasons in my life where I was like, God, I just can't wait to get, up I can't wait until I've grown to this place. I can't wait until the ministry is here. I can't wait until my family is here. I can't wait until my kids are old enough to go play basketball with me, Whatever. And I would find myself just constantly up there. In both places, I was just as unhappy. Now, unhappiness is sometimes kind of seen as like a non-spiritual word. To, to want to be happy isn't always seen as a spiritual thing. You know, we, we say, well, let's not shoot for happiness. Let's shoot for joy. Have you guys ever heard that? Yeah, Okay. One of the symptoms that we are not living in the present is that we are unhappy. 
Divorce starts this way. You find that people begin to, to get... How you put this? The first symptom is you begin to see that they're not satisfied with what they have. And so it starts by talking about their income. Well, we just don't make enough money, or the house just isn't big enough, or, you know, the kids are just a pain. And, and it seems to be these other things that, they're, that you talk about. And then all of a sudden you both begin to kind of pursue ways to fix life and to make it better. I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. If this would change, if this would change, if this would change. And then all of a sudden, communication breaks down. And then all of a sudden, both people or, or one of them is, is, again, it's always about, well, if I could just get this, I would be happy. And so divorce takes place when one or both parties decides to go after what it is that they think will make them happy. And as you guys know, the studies on divorce, these things don't ever stop. The odds are when you leave for something that you think is better, you will eventually find out that that was never what was going to satisfy. That there was something else beyond just relationship. There's something, and it's always internal. There's something in here that just wasn't right. There's something in here that was just missing. And so for us, the question is, how do we change this? How do we combat this? How do we learn to live full lives? How do we learn to be happy? How do we learn to be present, to be present with God and with each other? And one of the ways that I want to challenge you on this is the first step is this thing that we call confession. Have you guys ever talked about confession before? Does that sound Catholic to you? We're we're going to set up a booth on, uh, on Monday, and I'll, you guys can come in. We'll have a nice screen. I won't be able to know who it is. You can just kind of just, you know, <laughs> spill all your guts. You are forgiven, my son, you know. <laughs> I've always wanted to have one of those. It's weird. Okay. Um, confession is an extremely scriptural practice. It's a practice. It's not this spontaneous spiritual thing where all of a sudden, you know, we feel convicted and we got to... It's this thing that we have to learn to get into. It's something we have to become in a rhythm, uh, in a habit of doing. Have you ever had that experience where you just had something that was weighing on you, and it just worked out to where you had someone to listen, and you just kind of shared all of it to that person? You know, and the person might not have even had any great words. They might not have even known what to do. But there's something about the sharing of it that brought this relief for you. No one's done that, okay. And it's even different from just sharing it with God. There's something that a substance, there's something that you can feel and touch when you have another human and you begin to share it with them. And in the Scriptures we see this, this we, it's a very prominent thing we see in the Gospel of John and in James here in the passage uh, that we read to start this morning. It says, confess your sins one to another. And the whole context of this is prayer and healing. If you notice, the entire passage is talking about the power of prayer and what prayer can do. It can heal the sick. It can mend the soul. It can do all these amazing things. It can move mountains. But the one thing hidden inside the passage is the idea of confession. And it said, hey, if anyone's sick, okay, uh, Call the leaders and they'll come over. And then it talks about, and it kind of slips it in there. And then it says, you know, I'll confess your sins 
one to another. And then it talks about how in right standing with God, meaning post-confession, once we have laid everything to God, there's such power after that. When you come to a place of righteousness, right standing, when we come to confession and we lay it down with God, and now we're free of it, in right standing, in righteousness, that person, the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. It has great pushing power. But most of us have learned that Scripture, but we just kind of gloss right over the confession part. Because we're Protestants and we don't do that confession stuff, right? I mean, right? I mean, the idea of confession is just a little bit weird. Okay, I challenge you. Who do you go to to confess? God? Okay, sure. So in John 20, when Jesus says, whenever you forgive someone, they are forgiven. He didn't say, whenever they come to me, he said, whenever you forgive someone, I am forgiving them through you. What do you do with that? In James, when it says, confess your sins one to another, he didn't say, confess your sins directly to me because you don't want to bring anyone else into this. (laughs) What do we do with this? And so many of us have found ourselves in these places where we We've constantly taken it to God. God, I just, I forgive this person, or, you know, I let go of this, or I did this, and you just, you can't get the relief. It just feels like it hasn't left you yet. One of the things I love about the New Testament and the Apostle Paul is how he just kind of weaves into the Scriptures this idea that there is no connection to God without connection to each other. The body is one. And there's, there's no connection to the head without connection to the, the body. This idea in Hebrews where he calls us all, we're all ministers. We are now the priesthood. So now the confession of sins used to go through the temple, through the priests, and now who are the priests? Okay. I got excited about that. I thought it was cool. Everyone's like, wow, that's really boring. Jesus intends to to hide himself behind people because he knows that if it were up to us, we would bypass every other face and go directly to the one. And it's this weird balance because we also see in 1 Timothy, we see that Jesus is the mediator. He's the only one who stands between us and the Father. We are not between us and the Father. But yet he says, but you're going to access me through the Holy Spirit and through the body. We don't know what we've been missing out on when it comes to the power of confession. There are some of us who are so stuck in the pain of the past, in the regrets of the past, in the sins of the past. You did this. You messed up. You hurt someone. Someone hurt you. Someone offended you. Someone disappointed you. And you are stuck there. You are bound. It's almost as if you've been hogtied, if you would, and left back there. And so who you are, your emotions and your thoughts and your identity is still stuck. And you're not really living anymore. You're just kind of a spiritual zombie, if you would. You're here, but you're not all the way here. Um... 
We have to understand the power of confession. Now, just last night I had to share something with Nisa. I was like, um, who knows my son Liam? Anybody seen him? Um, <laughs> if you saw a kid running full speed into a wall, screaming with joy, that was him. He will not be stopped, I promise. Um, we are nothing alike, he and I. Nothing alike. Now, me and Jude, we are like the same person. But like me and Liam, I go, I admire everything about you, child, but I understand nothing about you. <laughs> he wakes up in the morning screaming and running through halls, and I'm like, Jude wakes up and just lays in bed, and he's like, Dad. I'm like, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> But with Liam, he's just so much to handle sometimes. Sometimes it's uh, slightly dangerous to be present. So, uh, so what happens with him is, you know, he's just so different and he's just he's just so full of energy and he's loud and he's powerful it's crazy but what happens is you know sometimes uh, sometimes the week is just so, uh, this might take me 20 minutes Whew. hmm let's go to communion and come back or something like that I guess I don't know um what happens sometimes, it's, 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 the past is so strong sometimes. The week, the day is so long, and it just takes your emotions, and it just kind of keeps them locked away. And so... You don't have much to bring here. Hmm. So what happens sometimes is you, fully present, you are able to, to handle much where you're able to be loving, to be kind, to be merciful. But when you're not fully present, you are, your compassion, your gentleness, it, it's all tied up here. So what you bring is your pain.
<laughs> Thank you. He's trying. <laughs> so what happens is the only thing that we have to bring people it's this outer shell of us. You know, it's uh it, it's just the it's the wounded, it's the ugly, it's the beat up, it's the broken parts of us. And so what happens is that, you know, we are only able to bring what's left because we're still tied up here and we're up there. And so what people get from us is, is pain, it's anger, it's, it's... And uh, we can do so much damage here. We can be so dangerous here in the present when we're tied up in the past. <clears throat> and, and so, uh, and so, the only way out, if you would, how you phrase this, the only way to be present, the only way to bring yourself back is to allow someone else. It's almost like someone becomes an anchor for you. Confession is this place where where someone else is, if you can picture this, someone else is fixed in the present with their hand out to you. And it's this place where we connect with someone and we are able to be fixed here. Because what happens is we bring the pain of the past to the present. And even though, you know, it's this human, it's this broken person who's here listening to us, what it is, is it's this person who's helping us bring all the stuff to the other person who's standing in the present, which is Christ. And it's this beautiful kind of a, a, of a place for us because in this place we're able to, to unload, to unpack, to just to lay down this stuff, this junk, this weight. And we're able to allow the emotions and the thoughts and just the, you know, who we really are to be freed up. If you would, it's almost as if it becomes this moment to where the parts of us which are tied up in the past, uh, they get freed, if you would. Um, and it's so crucial for us to understand this. We do this all the time. Uh, few people fully get all of us. Few people. And, you know, in this process, it's not that we don't want to give ourselves to people. It's just that we don't know how. 
So confession. Confession is this portal for us. It's this exit door. It's this back door. It's this escape for us to where when we find ourselves being just pulled away, pulled back, pulled away, being, uh, being tied up, being hindered, when we notice unhappiness, when we notice that we are so lost, it's almost as if the, you know, we can't help ourselves but bring the only parts of us which are actually still here. And when the past has stripped us of joy, you know, of love, of patience, the only thing that we have to bring is all the junk, all the crap. So in this process, confession is, it's the place where we're able to step into the present. It's a place where we bring the past fully to God, and we fix ourselves in this moment. We face the past, and what it does, it, it prepares us, it strengthens us, it frees us so that when we look to the future, we are now ready to face the future in front of us. We are we're free, we have energy, we have, we have strength, and we're ready to move on. And, and so in this process, there are five steps to confession. Here's the first one. The first one, the examination. This is where we if you would have to do what I just did here on the stage, we, we have to face what is in there. What is going on down here? If you would, it's a place where we have to, to relive the past and the present. We have to walk through it with the Lord, and we have to go through the things where people have harmed us or people have wronged us. We have to go through the things in our life where we have wronged others and we have wronged God, and we have to go through these things together. We have to kind of walk them through. And um, what happens in this process is it's painful process because we only know how to survive in life. We know how to just kind of get through. And when there's pain in the past, when there's hurt in the past, when there's regrets and sins and, and all this junk in the past, we only know how to hide it. And so in, in this place of examination, we are having to dig up the bones, if that makes sense to anybody, if you know what I'm saying. We have to go back to where the bodies are buried, and we have to dig it up. We have to peel back the layers of our emotions, all the numbness and, the, and just the, the, the excuses and all the distractions and all this junk that we've, you know, we, we've chosen to cover it up with. We have to begin to pull it out in this place of examination. And the second step, we have to make a decision. And what takes place in this is we have to go through all this and decide that we don't want to go back to this. Call it repentance if you'd like. It's in this place that we decide that we don't want to hold the offense any longer. We don't want to wrong anyone any longer. We don't want to continually step into these sins, and we don't want to continually allow others to hold us back in the past. It's where we have to make a decision on which direction we're going to go. And the next step is vulnerability. The hardest step for most everyone in the room. Most of us know about the junk in the past. Most of us know what we want to do and what we should do. The problem is the cost of it. The hardest thing about confession is having to go to someone. One of the reasons that I'm absolutely convinced that the Scriptures lead us to confess to each other. It's not that you can't confess to God. Often that's one of the most important steps that leads to this, but we need to understand the value of going to people. Here's why. 
there's so much more shame when you have to go to a human than when you have to go to an invisible God sometimes. I'm telling you, it is hard to look someone in the eyes and say, this is what I did. Here it is. And then, on the other hand, even have to go to someone and to apologize to forgive someone face-to-face. It's one thing to forgive someone in your mind. It's another thing to go see that person face-to-face and to let it go, to let them off the hook. And the last thing that takes place in this process is when we're vulnerable and we begin to share the truth with this person, what we've done, that's where prayer comes in. That's where the entire passage of James begins to kick in. And when we have humbled ourselves to bring it to someone else who's not God, okay, the entire point of this is acknowledging we're going to someone else who's broken and flawed and confessing or acknowledging offense or hurt. There's something about this that we are humbling ourselves. We're making ourselves available and vulnerable to God. And in this space, there's such healing. Some of the most rich um, encounters with God I've ever had have taken place in this space because we are so primed and ready for God. We are just, we are so raw and vulnerable and hungry, and we are so sure that we don't ever want to go back to what we just had to lay on the table. The power of confession. Would you guys stand with me this morning? And so even with Nisa last night to go to her and say, you know, sometimes with, with Liam, I just lose it with him. He's just, you know, he's, he's, he's got joy and energy and he's not doing anything wrong, but I just want to just grab him and say, stop, sit down, you know, shut up. And it's wrong. And so with him, it's so easy for me to lose my temper. It's so easy for me to just be rough with him. But it's in this place where we find God. He meets us here every time. So this morning, as we jump into communion, um, I just want to challenge you. Allow this time to be an examination of your heart. As we go to the juice and and the bread, you know, the scripture always comes to my mind where it talks about the importance, the one warning about communion before we bring ourselves to God, the one warning we get, make sure there's no ought. You're not holding anything against any other person. For you to come fully here, you must fully deal with the past to be fully present with God. So I encourage you as we have this time, you know, if you need to to share it with someone if you need to write it on a note and, and share it with someone if you need to talk with someone, I challenge you, just do it and find out how much God's going to meet you. So this morning, if you guys would just kind of come on down the inside.